to you this morning. It is a joy to be with you, to have an opportunity to worship with you as we've done so this morning. We've got a good crowd of folks with us. We have visitors with us, really a lot of visitors with us this morning. We want to welcome you to let you know we're excited to have you. Maybe you've got some questions about things that you've heard or seen, and we want you to know that we're open to those questions and conversations. We'd love for you to be as comfortable as you possibly can be as you worship God with us here. We've had an incredible worship together thus far, and what an incredible opportunity we have now to open up his word and to study from, and it's exactly what we're going to do. This morning, we're going to talk about something that we all love to do, wait. We're going to think about waiting in a couple of different ways this morning. We're going to spend time kind of thinking on uh, some things that it's good to be waiting for, and then we're going to flip that coin over and talk about the other side for a moment as well. I ran across and studying for the lesson this week, roughly on average, we spend 52 days out of our life waiting in line. Now, that could be at the post office, it can be at the grocery store, it can be in lots of different situations and lots of different circumstances. All of us here, at some point, understand that there are moments in your life that you've got to wait in line. And this first idea about waiting that I want us to be thinking about is I want us to think about the moments in our life that we have waited in line for something we wanted or for something that we wanted to do. You know, all of us can probably conjure up a picture in our mind where there was an incredible length of line that you stood in, possibly stood in for hours. There are people who have waited in line for days to obtain something a ticket to a concert, an item to purchase at a store that is just being released. There there are items and there are things that we wait on. You go to an amusement park, any amusement park, and there are lines that must be waited in. Some of those amusement park lines are famously long. If you go to a place close to here like Kings Island and and you see a line, they, they have signs periodically, right? If the line is to this point, it is a 30-minute wait. Or if the line is to this point, it is a 45-minute wait. Or if the line is to this point, it is a 60-minute wait. And then we have to decide. We have to choose. How bad do I want to ride the ride that we have to wait for? And if you're like me, especially if it is the greatest of all roller coasters ever constructed by man, the beast at Kings Island, I will wait in that line. All of us have waited in line. We have shown that if we want it or we want to do it, we will wait for it. All of us have shown that. All of us have shown that we're willing to do that. And so I want us to take that idea this morning. And I want us to begin to think about that idea, the phrase that Caleb read for us from Isaiah chapter 40 about waiting on the Lord, a very specific phrasing that we'll talk more about in the second point. But the idea that here you have someone who is waiting on the Lord. But the big difference 
is that when we are in line waiting for something, there's not a whole lot going on. You're just standing there in in a lot of ways. You're not doing really anything. As a line inches forward, you'll inch forward, but you're not doing really much of anything but waiting. I mean, maybe you can have a conversation, you can check some things on your phone, but for the most part, it is a passive activity. But now as we're talking about this idea of waiting on the Lord, a thought that is throughout Scripture, we've got to put into our mind right off the bat that waiting on the Lord isn't a passive activity. But it is something that is demonstrated by active dependence upon and obedience to God. It is an active action. You like that? An active action. It is something that we are doing, something that we are striving in our waiting. And you might say, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense. I can't picture that in my mind. Waiting is standing. Waiting is sitting. Waiting is passive. But not when we read about it here in Scripture. It isn't passive at all. It is diligent dependence upon God. It is full trust in him and who he is. And so when we think this morning about this idea of waiting on the Lord, what it is, we're going to take some steps together this morning because it involves several things that must happen. Whether it is that we're waiting on him to act in some way or we're waiting on him to return as he has promised he would, or whether we're waiting on him or what in whatever circumstance we're waiting on him, there are several steps that must be taken. So for us this morning, step number one. We're going to spend a lot of time in the book of Proverbs, the book of Psalms this morning, not exclusively, but we will spend a lot of time there. And we're going to start with this idea of what we just made mention of. But in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5, an absolute understanding this morning. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Here is the power in this verse. Probably a verse that you've heard before. Probably a verse that most, if not all of us, can quote. Uh, Maybe you didn't know exactly where it was, Proverbs 3 and verse 5, but when I began to read it, it registered in your mind, right? But here's the punch of that verse. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. That is the punch of that verse. It isn't the occasional trust in the Lord. It isn't in most circumstances I'm going to trust in the Lord. It isn't when things are going easy, I'm going to trust in the Lord. Or when things are going smoothly, excuse me, I'm going to trust in the Lord. I'm going to trust in the Lord with all my heart. And so the point that we made at the beginning, this idea of waiting on the Lord isn't some passive activity. It is active dependence upon God. I cannot make it through line on my own. I have to have God with me. I have to have him. I cannot make it without him. I cannot make it through without him. And so at the very foundational principle, the very base of the idea this morning is this absolute and full trust and dependence upon God. So when that happens, 
things move and growth occurs. I want to direct your attention to the book of Psalms and some really interesting passages and the way that it is given because the psalmist makes the point over and over and over again. If we wait on the Lord, if we trust in the Lord, if we depend upon the Lord, our faith will grow. We, our strength will, go, will grow. Our bravery, our courage will grow. If I throw all of my trust in God, growth takes place. Look at a couple examples with me. I, I put these in order. So you can just flip from one to the next to the next. Psalm 27. Psalm 27 in verse 14. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. And he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. Look at Psalm 31 now. Psalm 31 in verse 24. Be of good courage. And he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Two more chapters away. Psalm 33 now and verse 20. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our strength. And so the point is, when we are able to trust him completely, that's the idea in Proverbs chapter 3. With all of my heart. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. So when we are able to trust Him completely, our strength grows in the moments that we need it to. It is an understanding that ultimately God is sovereign. And that may, you may say, well, that, that's a pretty big Bible word. Not a word we use very often, but it, it is very simply God is in control. He rules. I'm going to trust that that will happen. And so when we are able to trust him completely, our strength grows. And when our strength grows, that's what allows us and helps us to push away the fear and the worry. Think about how these two passages build on what we've already read. Psalm 46 now. Psalm 46. Don't forget what we've read already. All of this builds one on top of the other. Psalm 46, beginning of verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, though all of these things are encompassing me, are shaking and falling apart around me, God is my refuge and strength. Verse 1, the end of that I love, a very present help in trouble. That idea that it is a present help, not necessarily, even though it is certainly a touch. Don't think of the present tense like happening now, but think of him as being present. Now, because he is present, he can help in our present, if you will. 
But because he is present, because I have leaned on him completely, I have trusted in him completely, and he strengthens me. There's no need to fear. There's no need to worry. Because God is with me presently. Look a few chapters deeper into Psalm. Now, Psalm 56. Psalm 56, verse 3. Whenever I am afraid, What a beautiful verse this is. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? What an incredible passage that is. And did you notice it's almost the exact same thing reiterated, right? It is the exact same thing reiterated. It is on his mind. It is on his thoughts. Whenever I'm afraid, I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust in you. Why? Because why should I be afraid? Why should I worry? Why should I fear? God is present with me. I am trusting in him completely. What can flesh, what can this world do to me. And so how can that make a difference? How can that be applied? Well, I'll tell you one way in our life that it's going to make a big difference is in the way that we pray. An understanding of those kinds of things. I love Romans chapter 12 and verse 12 specifically. It's kind of in the midst of what comes across by Paul here as a very bullet pointy passage. He has a lot of those, right? A lot of lists that he gives, a lot of things that he hits, one, then the other, then the other, then the other, then the other. And he's doing that here in Romans chapter 12. But in the midst of that, a really interesting phrase. We'll pick it up kind of at the beginning of the the sentence in, in verse 10, beginning, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, verse 11, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope. Listen to how he's building. Patient, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Is that constant prayer? Why? Why would I be constant in my prayer? Well, I'm going to be constant in my prayer if I'm trusting in Him completely. If I've given Him my whole heart. If I understand my need for Him present to be present. If I understand all of those things as I'm here waiting on Him. And understanding that I need them. I need to have a connection with them. I'll most certainly continue steadfastly in prayer. So what does that bring about? Well, two things. It brings about all of these things together. brings about two things. One is expectation. I'm trusting in him. I'm trusting in him that he can deliver. I'm trusting in him that he will deliver. I'm trusting on him that he will protect. I'm trusting on him that he'll be there when I need him. That he's going to be there when I, when I need to talk to him. That he's going to be there to listen. I'm trusting. I'm expecting that. I'm expecting for him to fight for me. I'm expecting for him to bring about the peace that I want, the comfort that I'm looking for. I can have an expectation of all of those things. Let's go back to the book of Psalms. 
Back to the book of Psalms. This time Psalm 62. Psalm 62. Verse 1, beginning. Truly my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. My soul silently waits for God. Because he is the deliverer. He is the savior. In Proverbs chapter 20 now. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 22. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 22. The next book over. The writer here says, Do not say I will recompense evil. Wait for the Lord. And he will save you. Maybe not in the way that we expect. Maybe not in the way that we can picture, but it's not about those kinds of things because I am trusting in him fully. You remember that? I am trusting in him fully. And because of that, I can have an expectation. The final point here, not just that I can have an expectation, I can have a longing for him. I love the passage that Peter gives to us and delivers to us in 2 Peter chapter 3. Uh, we'll, we'll take the time, maybe uh, at, at a time here in the future, to spend a little bit more time here in this passage. I want to have the time to spend tons of time. But in 2 Peter chapter 3, in this, this idea, this conversation about Christ's return, and Peter makes the point, you, you can trust in that. You can trust him when he says that that's going to happen. You can long even for that because he's promised it. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning of verse 11. 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning of verse 11. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. It is a picture that Peter paints of a longing for this. I'm here waiting. I have an expectation because of his promise. And I have a longing for it to happen. You see, all of these things are very active, but they ultimately boil down to one thing, our trust in God. It is either there or it isn't. And if you can get yourself to a position of fully trusting in God, You can trust him that incredible things will happen for you. Let's flip that coin over. Let's make one more point about waiting. I'm going to tell you a story of last week, specifically now about this idea that we have. Let's see. Here we go. 
I've lost my little screen here, so I've got to trust that it's going on behind me. I was at Costco the other day to get gas, and maybe you were uh, doing a very similar thing a couple of days ago. If you've ever been to Costco to get gas, unlike most of the other gas stations, it is a kind of a one-way situation. Everybody comes in one direction, and everybody leaves in one direction. And there are kind of multiple lanes, depending upon, you know, what side of the car your gas tank is on. And so everybody is kind of making their way through in one way. You get gas and you leave out the other side. And so I pull up, and not surprising, I certainly expected this, there were lines, big lines backed up. Every line was about five cars deep. And my first thought was, man, this is going to take a minute. But I was willing to wait, right? Because I, what I, I really wanted some gas, so I was willing to wait. If you have a car that kind of counts down, your, hey, this is how much further you have, I had seen zero already. So I, I didn't have a whole lot of trust in that car, but I trusted that there was going to be gas. And so I was like, I'll wait. And so I started to look a little bit closer. And at the far right-hand side, nobody was there. I thought for a second, well, that's odd. Now, if you've been to the Costco in in Avon, close to that side, they have three cones sitting on top of like the, where the gas goes into the ground. I I guess I don't want people rolling over there. And it may look, if you glance, that those three cones are in front of that aisle, but they are not. And so I was sitting there, car number six, and everything is just piling up behind me. And I thought, what are these people waiting for? And so I just got out of line, and I went over to that side, and I was first, and I got gas. And I thought, well, man, everybody's going to do that. Not one other car followed me. I was the only one over there getting gas, and I pulled out of there, and nobody came. And now the question popped into my mind, like this. Well, what, what, I mean, what, what are you waiting for? Now, this is a question that's asked with confusion. I was confused by that. It doesn't make any sense that they were waiting when they didn't have to. It was foolish, even, that you were waiting for something when you didn't have to be waiting. And that thought, I want to close our time and study with? Are we waiting when it's foolish to be waiting? And maybe the question needs to be asked this morning to you. Why are you waiting? Let's hash that out a little bit. I'll give you an example of that that we're going to come back at the very close. But I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts in Acts chapter 22. Acts chapter 22. There's a story that the Apostle Paul is recounting, specifically the story of his own conversion. If you're following along in the book of Acts, his own conversion, kind of in historical context as the story is unfolding in Acts chapter 9. But if you're familiar at all with the book of Acts, he will later in the book recount that same conversion on two different occasions. Once in Acts chapter 22, we're going to read a piece of that, and again in Acts chapter 26. So he's recounting an event that takes place back in Acts chapter 9, and he's recounting this story, and he ultimately recounts it in the way of sharing the gospel with the people that he is around. But I want to 
to draw your attention to the story on how it, how it unfolds. I'm in Acts chapter 22, beginning in verse 6. Listen to what Paul says. He says, Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon. Suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me, and I, I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And so I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And, and those who are with me indeed saw the light and were afraid. But they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. And so I said, What shall I do, Lord? And, and the Lord said to me, Arise, go into Damascus, and you will be told the things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came to Damascus. And then a certain Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me. And he stood and he said to me, a brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up at him. And then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you. You should know his will and see the just one and, and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be a witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And, and now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and, and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So th this is a great example and use of this question. Right? You have Paul who, who has he's been affected by, by the Lord and he's, he's spoken with him even. And now Ananias is there and he, he, he asks this question, why? Why are you now waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. It is there with incredible urgency that this needs to happen. It is asked in a way of confusion. It's asked in a way of, I don't understand why you would be waiting. Don't wait. Don't wait on this. It is dangerous to wait on this. So why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized. So why? Why is it so dangerous? You see, what happens a lot of times, we confuse our waiting on the Lord that we talked about before with waiting for the Lord to act when we are the ones that need to be acting. You see, there's a very different things in waiting on the Lord that we've talked about and waiting for the Lord to do something. When in reality, we are the ones that need to be doing something. So why is this so important? Well, look at Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. We'll close with this passage. Romans chapter 13, 11 through 13. Here again, the Apostle Paul to the brethren in Rome towards the very end of this incredible book. He says this, and do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. common question that we often will ask to the people around us, do you, do you know what time it is? 
I mean, we ask it all the time. We've asked it for the entirety of our lives, right? Do you, do you know what time? Maybe we really ask it on a day like this when our time changed, right? Do you, do you know what time it is? Well, t- uh, time is something that works very differently with God. And the point that's being made here is, is that we, we don't know what time it is. We certainly don't know what time for us will come to an end. And so because of that, what you have from Paul here is a call made to holiness, right? He says, cast off the works of darkness, put on the armor of light. And he gives us a big list on all of these things. It is an incredible call to holiness. But what makes this passage powerful? There are lots of calls to holiness in Scripture, lots of them. Lots of calls to holiness. But what I like about this passage is the call to holiness here is done with urgency. Why are you sleeping? Why are you waiting? What are you doing? You won't have all of the time. And because of that, you need to be and to choose holiness right now. So as we close, some application questions. All ending with what are you waiting for? For example, if you are here this morning and there is sin in your life, I'm going to ask, what are you you waiting for to do something about that? What, What are you waiting for? to take care of that sin. It is foolish to wait on some sin in your life to take care of it because of the time element. So I want you to think about that question this morning. If there is sin in your life, what are you waiting for? Here's another application question. If there's a measure of growth on your mind, we a lot of times have them. You know what? I need to be better about my prayer life. I need to be better about my study of God's word. I I, I need to be better about hospitality and getting to know my brethren. I I need to be I I need to be more. I, I need to be better. I'd like to, to, to be uh, uh, teaching. I'd like to be helping in some way. We have those thoughts from time to time. And maybe you're here this morning and you've been thinking about some of those things. I'm going to ask you the question, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? I'll tell you, don't. It's foolish to wait. What are you waiting for? To grow in your prayer. What are you waiting for to grow in your study? To personally grow. What are you waiting for? Thirdly, as a married couple, if there are issues in your marriage that is causing strain and division even, if there are problems that are are causing issues for your family, maybe for you at work or spiritual issues, what are you waiting for to do something about that? Are you, re- are you waiting for the train wreck? Are you waiting for the absolute destruction of your marriage? What are you waiting for? 
want to encourage you, it's foolish to wait. Foolish to wait for something like that. On a similar note, to the fathers specifically this morning, if you as a father, you know that there are spiritual struggles within your family, what are you waiting for to do something about that? If you know that as a family, there are struggles spiritually, maybe it's your own struggles, maybe it is your spouse's struggles, maybe it is your children's struggles, you know that there are struggles in your family. As a father, I'm going to implore you with that question, what are you waiting on to do something? It is foolish to wait to do something about that. It is foolish to wait. And we'll close with the same question. We, we can ask questions for the next three or four hours. And the second Sunday, maybe we'll do that. Maybe we'll just keep going. We'll close with the question that we had directed to Paul in Acts chapter 22. If like Paul, you know that you have sin that needs to be washed away, by the blood of Christ and baptism. I want to ask you this morning, what are you waiting for? Are you waiting for the perfect time? We've caught a break because now is the perfect time. And so as we sing this song of invitation that Tim will lead us in, maybe there is a question specifically, one of these in your mind. Maybe it's sin that you have, and you know it's there, and you know it needs to be taken care of. And we've asked that question, now you're thinking about it. Let's do something about it. Like the Apostle Paul, you have sin darkening your heart, keeping you separated from God, and that sin that needs to be washed away. Pledging your allegiance to Christ. Trusting in Him completely, as we've talked about today. Why are you waiting? What are you waiting for? Maybe we can help you this morning. If we can, you let us know.